community, family, and friends. I'm glad you are joining us. We are midway through a series looking at different characteristics of a healthy church. We started with how a healthy church worships God in spirit and in truth. And then last week we looked at how a healthy church gives generously. Today we are looking at how a healthy church serves. And some of you might know, whenever I was in college, I worked over at Bush Gardens in Wilmsburg. And over time, I got promoted to a supervisor position. But before anyone starts as a supervisor of Bush Gardens, they have to go through training. And so I went through training. There was a room full of us. And, and Bush, they gave us each a notebook that had all these different scenarios that we might encounter on the job how to handle a situation when a guest wasn't happy with their food or if someone was causing a scene or what to do if there was a medical emergency, things like that. They went through every page of this book with us and we read all the material, they taught it to us, but that wasn't it. They wanted to make sure that the lessons sunk in. And so there was two instructors and they started role playing. Uh, they would act out these different scenarios so that we would see them in action. Uh, one of the instructors played a guest in the park and one of them played a worker. So they didn't just speak to teach. They, they acted it out as an example for us to follow. Now, when Jesus was teaching his disciples, he wanted to teach them to serve others. So one thing he did was he spoke lessons on serving others. Uh, for example, in Mark 10, James and John, they asked to sit on Jesus' right and his left when he's on his throne. The other disciples hear about this, and they are angry with them. And so Jesus calls the disciples over. And he says, you know, the rulers in this world, they lord their power over people. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. So the disciples heard this lesson, serve others. But Jesus isn't content just to let them hear it. Jesus wants to make sure that the lesson sinks in. And so John 13 tells us that before the Passover celebration, before Jesus instituted communion, he got up and he wrapped a towel around his waist. He poured water into a basin and then he began to wash his disciples' feet. Some protested. All of them were confused. And then Jesus got up and he said in John 13, 12, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord and you are right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord, and teacher have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow, do as I have done to you. Jesus wanted to make sure that the lesson sunk in. He had taught the lesson with his lips, but he didn't stop there. He acted it out to make sure the lesson sunk in. And what was the lesson? If you're going to follow me, that means you're going to serve others. This is the lesson that I want us to get today. A healthy church knows that to follow Jesus is to serve. 
Jesus says, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And as he says in John 13, 15, I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. So the lesson is pretty clear. If we are followers of Christ, we are called to serve others. Jesus even modeled the lesson for us to make sure it's stuck. In fact, we are not just taught to serve others. We are created to serve others. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This verse is speaking to Christians, and it says we are created in Christ Jesus. We know that. You know, in Jesus, we are born again. We are a new creation. But what are we created to do? It says here we're created to do good works. We have been crafted by God, each of us unique for his purposes. And it says we are created in Christ for good works. And the interesting thing is that God has already prepared what he wanted us to do for him long ago. It says we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. When we say God has a plan for you, we shouldn't just leave it at that. You know, we could say God has a plan for you and it is to serve him in some way. He has already set up good works for you to do in the future that you don't even know about yet, but be on the lookout for. We are all called to faithful service. You know, sometimes Christians may mistakenly think that they are not qualified to serve in ministry. They may think that only preachers or clergy can truly be involved in ministering to others and doing the Lord's work, but this is misunderstanding ministry. The truth is, we are all called to do ministry. Oftentimes, we have developed a limited understanding of what the word ministry means. We think a preacher, that's a minister, a youth minister, that's a minister, but it's so much more than that. At its heart, the Greek word that's translated as uh, ministry is diakonia. And the basic meaning of this word diakonia is service. So ministry is simply service. I want you to get this. Ministry is not just something that the preacher does. Ministry is service. It is service to God by serving others. So we see this word diakonia, ministry, used to describe feeding widows in Acts 6.1 and caring for the poor through giving in 2 Corinthians 9.12 and proclaiming the gospel in Acts 20.24. Ministry is service. It involves all sorts of things. Feeding the hungry, giving to the poor, sharing the gospel, and that's just naming a few things. What I want you to get is that Christians... You have all been called by God for ministry because serving others is ministry. And what this means here is that there isn't a class system in Christianity where there is the called and the not so much called. No, all Christians are called into the ministry. 
Not everyone is called to be a pastor or a teacher. We have different roles, but we are all called in the ministry because we are all called to serve. People sometimes ask, when I was called into the ministry, and I know what they are asking, you know, when did you feel that calling to make ministry your full-time profession? And so I tell them about how in, in 2003, Sarah and I, we stepped out on faith, we quit our jobs, uh, moved to North Carolina. I started January 2004 uh, back in college at Roto Bible College. That's when I felt uh, God prompting me to make ministry my full-time profession. But the truth is I was called to ministry much earlier. And so were you. When we understand ministry as service, we see that people are called into ministry at conversion, not at some subsequent event. That means that the body of Christ does not consist of the called and the not called. Uh, we are all called to serve when we are saved. Each and every one of us has been, as Ephesians 2.10 says, created by Christ Jesus to do good works. We are all saved to serve. Saved people serve people. And that service is going to look different in different people. We all have different gifts, different opportunities to serve. I am so thankful for everyone that serves here in Community Christian Church in a variety of different ways. I know that with the quarantine, we haven't been meeting like we normally do as a church family. Man, I miss y'all. But during this time, there has still been all sorts of people serving. You've seen someone screen helping to lead the worship. Uh, if you're involved with the youth group, you've seen the lessons that are going on online. You've seen the volunteers meeting the kids on there. We've had children's ministry volunteers helping to make videos for the kids. And that's just the people that you see on screen behind the scenes. I've seen people helping out with painting projects and helping to fix the baptistry, keeping track of our bills and finances, sending out prayer requests. Uh, helping to make these videos, setting up communion, cleaning, and the list can go on. I, I know that it could be more challenging to serve others as we shelter in place. But I want to share a few ways that I have seen and heard about others that are serving their neighbors and their community during this time. Uh, first of all, by praying. Never overlook praying as, oh, that's not really doing anything. That is the most important thing you can do. I love how people are praying for one another, praying for their family, for their church family, for their neighbors, for their co-workers. I know people uh, that have been reaching out, calling people that they know that are alone. I've heard stories of cards being sent, just saying, I miss you. Can't wait to see you again. Hang in there. Lunches have been provided to workers at hospitals, the kids away from school. Masks have been made. Flowers have been sent. Encouraging sidewalk chalk messages have been written by children. Money has been given to those in tough times. Litter has been picked up. Yard work has been done. Groceries, medications, they have been picked up and delivered to those unable to go out. Meals have been delivered to doorsteps both from restaurants and homemade. 
even during this time, there are so many different ways that we can serve. Now, what we do to serve, it may be different, but there should always be some similarities in how we serve. First of all, we should always serve with love. Galatians 5, 13, it says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Those last two words are key. In love. Think about that feeling when your heart is full of love for someone. And they ask you to do something and you're happy to do it. They ask you to go get something for them, and you're not like, oh, fine. You know, you're like, sure, I, I'd be happy to. I, I'd love to. You know, you know that no matter what we are doing to serve, our task doesn't determine our attitude. Our love determines our attitude. I've taken groups to help serve food at the rescue mission a number of times and every time the people serving they love it i even had a former youth group student named christian that he chose for his birthday to have his friends come serve lunch with him at the rescue mission that's how he wanted to spend his birthday because he loves serving so much now why do people love working at the rescue mission. Why did Christian want to spend his birthday with his friends serving there? It isn't because they love peeling potatoes or washing dishes or any of those tasks that they have you do while you're there. It is because they have love for God and for the people that they are serving. And so they find joy in doing those tasks. You see, it doesn't matter the task. When we serve, the task doesn't determine our attitude. Our love determines our attitude. And so we need to always serve with love. Next, we should all serve with humility. Let's look at that verse, Galatians 5.13 again. It says to serve one another humbly in love. Philippians 2.3, it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility value others above yourselves. C.S. Lewis once said that true humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. When we are serving humbly, we aren't thinking about how we look. We aren't concerned if someone is watching for a photo op. We aren't thinking about how this is going to be good for our resume. We aren't concerned with ourselves. When we serve with humility, our focus is on those that we are serving, not on ourselves. Our goal isn't to impress others. Philippians 2.3 says it is to value others as more important than ourselves. So, if serving with humility is valuing others as more important than ourselves, then letting someone ahead of you in line when you see that they are in a hurry is a way to humbly serve them. And cleaning the bathroom 
in your office, uh, even when it's not your job to do, is an act of humble service. You know, Jesus, he modeled this in more ways than just washing his disciples' feet. Though he was God, Jesus Christ came to earth as a baby, being born in a stable, he started humble. Then he stayed humble. He took the nature of a servant, spent his life focused entirely on serving God and others, and finally humbled himself even further by becoming obedient to death on a cross. Now, why did Jesus do this? Because in love, he valued us above himself. That is a marvelous thing to think about. Our creator valued his creation above his own life. And that, valuing others above ourselves, that's what we do whenever we serve them with humility. Next, when we serve, no matter what we are doing, we need to serve wholeheartedly. Colossians 3, 23 and 24, it says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. It's working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Jesus Christ you are serving. Now let's face it, serving can sometimes be hard. You know, some jobs are behind the scenes, they're dirty, they're difficult, they come with little things. During World War II, England needed to increase its production of coal. Winston Churchill, he, uh, he called together the labor leaders to get their support. And at the end of his presentation, he asked them to picture in their minds a parade after the war where people would be celebrating the victory. First, he said, the sailors would come in who had kept the vital sea lanes open and then the soldiers would come home from Dunkirk and then would come the pilots. And last of all, he said, would come this long line of sweat-stained, soot-streaked men in miners' caps. And someone might cry from the crowd, well, where were you during the days of our struggle? And then the 10,000 voices could answer, we were deep in the earth with our faces in the cold. Now, we are not in a world war, but we are in a spiritual war. And we each need to do our best to serve Christ wholeheartedly wherever he has placed us, even if it is not glorious. Not all the jobs serving are prominent and glamorous, but it is often the people with their faces to the coal who help the church accomplish its mission. No matter what we do, we need to give it our all, knowing that we are working for the Lord, not for men. And so we are going to give him our best, serving wholeheartedly, so that we can imagine hearing him say one day, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, speaking of good and faithful servant, next, a healthy church should serve faithfully. There shouldn't be a season of service in the life of a Christian. There should be a lifetime of service. Don't lose your zeal. Don't stop serving. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully 
to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I am reminded of my Sunday school teacher when I was six years old. Her name was Irma Perkins. Uh, she was an elderly lady. Uh, she was my best friend's grandma. And who knows how many years or decades she had been teaching classes of hyper six-year-olds about God and his word. But she kept on teaching faithfully. And I'm sure many of you have known your own Irma Perkins, some dear saints over the years who have modeled faithfulness through their years of humble service. We all know that sometimes serving can get tiring. You know, as humans, we get tired of things easily, even good things. You know, you, you get to the beach on vacation the first day, you're loving the sunset and the waves, but then by the last day, you're tired of the sand, you're ready to go home. It's easy for us to tire of things, even doing good. But God encourages us to remain faithful, to not stop. Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. In gardening, it is sometimes hard to see a harvest. You can spend days watering the plants, weeding around them, and you don't see any results. But you trust that eventually, if you are patient, there will be a harvest. Irma Perkins had no idea when I was a six-year-old in her class she was getting me to memorize Psalm 23 that I would go on to be a pastor. No one did but God. But she served faithfully. She didn't grow weary. And in time, I was part of a harvest from seeds that she had planted. Keep planting seeds faithfully with your service. Keep watering them. Don't get discouraged because God causes the growth, and in time he will produce a harvest. So serve faithfully. Next, we need to serve with compassion. When we have compassion, we are serving people with our heart. We are putting ourselves in someone else's shoes and really feeling for them. In Matthew 14, Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, or John the Baptizer, as I like to call him, he was beheaded by the king. And John's disciples, they took his body, they buried it, and then they told Jesus. And when Jesus heard about this, he withdrew in a boat privately to a solitary place. It's understandable. His cousin was just killed. He wanted some time alone. But then, verse 13 says that the crowds followed him when he was in the boat. They followed him on foot around the shore to the town. So Jesus is in the boat. He's trying to sail someplace to be alone. But the crowds see that's Jesus in the boat. And they all go to where he is heading. So as he pulls up the land, Jesus sees a crowd waiting for him. And listen to what verse 14 says. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Jesus put others before himself. He had compassion on them and served them. A little later, chapter 15, Jesus goes up on a mountainside, still trying to be alone, probably thinking, you know, the sea didn't work. I'm going to go up on a mountain. 
Matthew 15, 29 says, Jesus left there, went along the Sea of Galilee, and then he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Verse 30. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, many others. And they laid him at his feet, and he healed them. And the people stay with him, and he teaches them for days. Verse 32, he says to his disciples, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry, or they may collapse on the way. And Jesus proceeds to feed 4,000 men plus women and children, so maybe about 12,000 there. What I want you to see is that Jesus, even when he's tired, even when he wants to be alone, he doesn't push people away. He has compassion, and he heals the sick, and he feeds the hungry. We see that word compassion in Matthew 14, 14, again in Matthew 15, 32. Jesus served with compassion. He always made time to help meet the needs of those around him. To serve with compassion, you have to make time for people. They have to be a priority. One of my former ministers, Emmett Murphy, used to say that busyness is the killer of kindness. We don't ever want to get so busy that we don't take the time to stop and serve those around us with compassion. When we serve others with compassion, we make time for them because we see their value. We put ourselves in their shoes and we help them as we would want to be helped. We know we are saved to serve. And now we've talked about the spirit that our serving should be done in. Now I want to close by mentioning just a few things that happen when we serve. First of all, we get to meet others' needs. I know that's obvious. But that is a pretty great thing to do. The hungry are fed, and the naked are clothed, and the poor are supported, and the lonely are visited, children are cared for, and the sick are healed, all in the name of Jesus when we serve. Secondly, when we serve, God is glorified. Matthew 5.16, it says, Let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. When we serve others, we are like a light in the darkness. And we are pointing people to our Heavenly Father who loves them. Thirdly, whenever we serve, we help motivate others to serve. Hebrews 10.24, it says, Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. So we spur one another on to good deeds. When I see or hear about someone doing a service project, I am often inspired. I'm motivated to go, that is a great thing to do. That was a great idea. I want to do that. I want to help out like that. In the same way, whenever we serve others, then others are motivated just like that by our servants. And so it's a, a beautiful cycle. Finally, when we serve, the church as a whole becomes healthy. It is built up. Ephesians 4.12, it says, We are equipped for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. 
You want to get built physically, you lift weights. You want to help build the body of Christ spiritually, you equip them to serve, and then you go serve yourself. And that's how we grow in our faith. We are all saved to serve. We know that no matter who we are serving, we are all ultimately serving the same one, our Savior Jesus Christ. It's a privilege to serve Him by serving others. So as we live in our faith, may we always seek out opportunities to serve our Lord and bless those around Him for His glory.